Hello and welcome to Required Reading, a podcast that revisits the most impactful books from our childhood. I'm your host, Erin Bowles, Internet Goblin and SAG member. And our guest today is Lana Schwartz. She is a writer who was born and raised in New York City, where she continues to live today. You can read her writing on The New Yorker, McSweeney's, The Hard Times, In Style, Shondaland, and Glamour, as well as in her book, Build Your Own Romantic Comedy, which is available wherever books are sold. Welcome, Lana. Glad to be here. So our book today is Gossip Girl by mm-hmm. Cecily Vonsegaser. I looked mm-hmm. it up at least one site, and if I'm getting it wrong, she has full permission to mispronounce my name, however she likes. I don't think I knew that's how you say it. Zegasar? Wow. I've been saying it Zegasar for almost my whole life now. 2002, setting the stage. Top movies, Spider-Man, Star Wars Attack of the Clones, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, Harry mm-hmm. Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, and My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Mm-hmm. The number one song is Nickelback's How You Remind Me. Mm. American Idol has its first season. Everything is living in the shadow of 9-11. The Department of Homeland Security is created. And I could not find a lot about Vonsegaser, but she was born in Manhattan into a German noble family. She based the prep school in the book entirely on the prep school that she went to, which is Nightingale Bamford School. She lives in Brooklyn, and her social media is basically like sending her kids to college and just, <laughs> I love my kids. It's all very wholesome. Lana, what is your story with this book? How did it come to you? I don't know how quick I was to this trend exactly, because I remember reading them in high school, and I wasn't in high school yet in 2002. So I was maybe like a few years behind But I remember, like, reading them voraciously because it's a series, right? It's a series. And there's at least, like, eight of them or something. There's a lot of them. And then there's a spinoff series called The It Girl. And that follows little Jenny Humphrey at boarding school. So I read all of these. I remember specifically reading them in the car to my aunt's house going to Connecticut. And I was, like, a huge reader as a kid. I would read so much. And I remember my mom being mad at me for reading these books because she was like, this is trash. Mm -hmm. And I know you're smarter than this. (laughs) And to this day, I love trash. What can I say? (laughs) These books were like very, very popular. I don't know if you remember at all or what your origin story is with them. But these books were very popular. And initially, I feel like we're talking early 2000s. I feel like not long into the books being out or like there was already talk of like adaptation. Right. And I remember like Lindsay Lohan was in talks to play Blair. Oh. And I just remember like, oh, okay, they're going to make this into a TV show or movie thing. Like these books were very in the current because like there was this, there was the A-list, I think it was called. There was the click. Mm-hmm. There was, and then also, of course, there's Pretty Little Liars. I don't have the exact release dates for all of them, but I do think this Gossip Girl book set a trend and then I think it was Alloy was the publishing company mm-hmm. and then after that there was just like so many different types where you could just play Mad Libs where it's like rich girl in this city with these this group of friends and they were these designer labels and they have drama because of this boy you know I did not know this about you until today that you were born and raised in Manhattan which... no I am from Queens but yes okay. yeah yeah yeah, but and I live in Brooklyn now. Mm-hmm. To to someone raised outside of DC, fully mm-hmm. counts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is episode eight, I think, of the mm-hmm. podcast. This is not. This book is not like my favorite, like closest to my heart mm-hmm. that I've read, but delectable. Like definitely <laughs> my favorite read. I yeah. finished it and like immediately needed the second one. I'm mm-hmm. going to read it. It's trash but I Vonsegaser is very smart with all of it Mm -hmm. and I think it's like very well written and just tantalizing and juicy and tasty it's so fun I love the idea of all these other people coming on and talking about these like books that help them through a hard time and I was like this is how I like learned like what designer brands people on the Upper East Side like to wear (laughs) but I think yeah yeah yeah, mm-hmm. and so you, because you, I meant to mention this, but yeah, I'm from Queens, and I feel like I have that classic, like, if you've seen, like, Saturday Night Fever, that's a, that's a weird movie for me to bring up right now, but. Oh, good. Yeah, Saturday Night Fever, or, like, any, any movie where, like, the, it takes place in the Outer Boroughs, right? Mm-hmm. 
or it takes place in the city, but there's somebody from the outer boroughs. Like the dream when I was younger, and it's obviously very, it's so different now, but when I was younger, the dream of the outer boroughs was to like live in Manhattan. I always thought I would grow up and live on the Upper West Side someday like Nora Ephron, because that was a completely different world than the one I lived in. So I feel like this book and then what the show did eventually was like create this kind of like idolized dreamscape of Manhattan where the city's at your fingertips. I didn't have that and I didn't have that kind of access. I was adjacent to it. It's like my nose is pressed up against the glass. And I actually like I knew some kids from like camp or wherever else that like lived in this world. But I didn't at all. Now it's different because like famous people live in Park Slope, but that's not Mm -hmm. what it was like. when I was a kid yeah and you mentioned the show I've never seen the show did you watch it was it yeah I was obsessed with the show (laughs) to this day I'm obsessed with the show the show is really good the show is like it's hard for me to like we obviously are here to talk about the book but it's hard for me to talk about the book and not talk about the show because the book is a very good primer for what the show is and the show I would say has a lot more heart than the book does the show like there's a lot more that pulls at your heartstrings and like the Serena Blair friendship I feel like they talk about it here and like it's important the book is definitely satirical but it's satirical for I'm trying to figure out the best way to say it it's making fun of the Upper East Side it's making fun of these kids but I think the show even though it's for teenagers was satirical for an adult audience Mm -hmm. if that makes sense and the show was this weird like bringing together of like New York City indie with like high class Upper East Side society because they'll like be making fun of like Bloomberg, but then like Kim Gordon is an, ep- an episode. Right. Yeah. You should watch it. It's real. I will. I, I rewatch it like once a year. I sound like yeah. a freak. Sorry. Yeah. No, no. I mean, off the rip, the very first thing <laughs> that I loved is that it is gossipgirl.net. Yes. Oh my God. I thought about that too. It's so funny. And I love that it is playing with form like Mm -hmm. around the same time there was, I think the first one was called TTYL that was all in chat and email. And I think Mm. like, I don't know, for 2002, it feels kind of almost risky as a like a move to write it that way. And I really love it. I joke that I was in the Mormon friend group because that was the house that we would all hang out at. Oh. So all of this was was very foreign and alien. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that blew my mind the most though about it was the Mm -hmm. amount of cigarettes. And I had to go and look it up that this was published one year before New York said no more smoking indoors. Yes, I was thinking about that too, because I was like, I can't believe they're smoking inside. (laughs) That is always the biggest indicator of time to me is can you smoke inside, Right. you know? And it's so funny. I think they should bring that back. That's a horrible opinion. (laughs) How did your parents (laughs) treat all the bad stuff? Alcohol, sex, drugs? What was kind of the the attitude? We we didn't talk about it. Yeah, it just didn't happen. (laughs) We didn't talk about any of it. I started, to be honest, I started drinking kind of young. I started drinking when I was 14. I was the youngest. My sister's seven years older than me. And my sister didn't really do anything and my parents aren't drinkers either like my dad will have a beer once a month you know my mom really doesn't drink at all so it was like confusing to them I think that I had these impulses in me and they didn't really know what to do with it and I would also just sleep over at friends houses a lot in the town I grew up in I had friends who were in the town next to mine and they lived in like bigger houses and had parents with liquor cabinets who would then go away for the night or away for the weekend. And like, that's when I feel like the trouble would start. I also went to a sleepaway camp where um, you were allowed to go to the bar when you were 15. Oh my so gosh. So I, yeah. So a lot of what I was doing also was like away from home. So my parents didn't necessarily know. I think they really, they had their suspicions, but we didn't talk about it. Right. And so as far as I recall, So I feel like I was drinking, but I wasn't like going to bars Mm -hmm. in New York City until senior year of high school, which I guess is still 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 young. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I had a fake ID and I was 17. I definitely looked like 13 and I was like getting, uh, buying alcohol and getting in places. It's very weird to think about now, but 
I think like this was the life I aspired to. Mm -hmm. And what's strange is you think some of this is hyperbolic, but like I knew people who did not to this extreme. They weren't Mm -hmm. like the princes and princesses of the Upper East Side, but they were going to bars in high school in Manhattan, which is again, crazy to think about. But in terms of also the form, I like loved anything, especially when I was younger, that played with form like this. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was so cool because that was also the the beginning of the internet. So to see it in a book and to see people talking how I felt like my friends and I were talking online, it was exciting. And also I felt like the book now is so like prophetic. Everything is like it's all Instagram and Dumois and stuff like this. This honestly is not that far from what Dumas. Oh no, this is exactly that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What's interesting is that I think the internet gave us a place, like for a while at least, Mm. where there could be a a private, like kids only. What was your first screening? Oh my God. My first email was Big Bird's best buddy. Oh, that's Um, good. Which was so long. And I think there was at least one typo in there. But (laughs) what was yours? My first email address was LDS Puppy. Your initials? My initials. Not the Church of Latter-day Saints. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even know what that was. LDS Lana Dawn Schwartz Puppy. Because I I like puppies. There were a lot of like, (laughs) like Leah Dog Lover. Yeah. Sarah Dog Lover. A lot yeah. of those emails. Yeah. Um, my most embarrassing, I think, was Supersonic 288, which I chose after an Oasis song. <laughs> that came later, though. That came in high school. But that feels very of the time. And I think points for that, at least. Thank you. <laughs> Another one I had that I think was my longest was Lana Says This. Very um nose. <laughs> very meta. One thing I, I loved about these books is that they even mention it near the end mm. is that there are so little stakes it feels yeah. like mm. you know they say no matter what happens to us we're still going to mm. exist in this world yeah and i think the only real consequences that do end up happening happen to jenny who is mm. sort of mm-hmm. like the poor yeah. character and she of course has like severe consequences mm. she gets assaulted but for everyone else it is like and i think almost the internet mm. plays into that because mm. i grew up in the era where the internet was everywhere where like it was part of life but you also had to take classes that were like don't post pictures of yourself drinking on Facebook and was really like introductory media literacy and things Mm. like that so it was still sort of evolving Mm -hmm. but what I thought was interesting about this is for another episode we read from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basilie Frankweiler great book Um, yeah yeah. of course I linked them in my mind because they're both about like rich kids at the Met yeah Um, yeah but it's also that like Konigsberg, that author, had a very blue-collar upbringing and then got to a point where she was uh, teaching like at a girls' school and saw Mm -hmm. like, oh, these kids, they have nice shoes, but they have all the same problems that I do and and sort of wrote from that perspective. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like it was that, but a little little edgier, but Mm -hmm. a lot edgier. And Mm -hmm. and it felt so cynical, Mm -hmm. um, which I think makes a lot of sense for for 2002. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it has characters like Blair, who I identifies as a hopeless romantic and I think Mm -hmm. like by having it so cynical those really true moments felt they really took you off guard yeah yeah I think that's true I think like in terms of the cynicism she wrote like herself she wrote a bunch of these and then at some point she got a ghostwriter Mm -hmm. and in terms of the cynicism it just like goes off the charts the point that like they got even nastier to read that's kind of when I stopped I think because I was like this is like too much right but I don't know if you know this that they made like a serial killer version of these I saw like one Mm -hmm. one and I didn't look into it can you say more about that I haven't read them but I think it's like one of them is a murderer and it's supposed to be like gossip girl meets American psycho which makes perfect sense because when you read these there are like tinges of like American psycho where you feel like somebody's gonna ask about like their reservations at Dorcia parts of it are so nasty like the way Mm. things are described there's not really any kind of sympathy for any of the characters except maybe jenny but not even her because like i mean also i should add i 
was a short brunette girl with curly hair with big boobs. So I obviously identified with her a lot, but the way they wrote about her body made me so uncomfortable and made me like deeply ashamed. Mm -hmm. And then also like, this is such a 2002 book and that like the best thing you can be is skinny, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, if you're not, best of luck to you you're basically not a human and so it feels very of that culture of that time like you should drink but don't drink too much you should have sex but don't be a slut like very like when Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan are being like lambasted in the headlines like Mm -hmm. every day yeah at your school where they're like kids who went away like that's the the beginning of no me either I went to a really really big high school in Queens like kind of like the polar opposite of what this would be. There were 4,500 kids. So like nobody like, I'm sure there were rich kids, but like I didn't really know them. And it wasn't like people went away and then came back. And it was like, at least not for the most, there's some identification with it for me in terms of, I went to elementary school with a lot of people I went to high school with, but not middle school. So then there were people that I hadn't seen for four years and then reunited with them again. Like one of my best friends still today, we were best friends in elementary school, then went to different middle schools, then became like best friends again in high school. So there was an element of that for sure, but not in terms of anybody like, she's back or like where you know where's she been was she in like Paris or whatever you know that sort of thing yes yeah I think that was one thing I didn't expect from this book is how well constructed like the high school ecosystem Mm -hmm. felt it felt very accurate I loved that there was the sort of knowledge was social currency Mm -hmm. oh yeah 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 and I loved the way that the way that the internet played a role because Mm -hmm. we definitely I don't feel like the website made an impact necessarily like Mm. in the course of the text but it's really interesting because of course you don't know who gossip girl is and even when you are not in those posts there is this like ever-present watchful Mm -hmm. eye and as the book progressed there was more and more i don't know the exact word but like it stopped being like an unbiased narrator Mm -hmm. there were bits of like attaboy good I wouldn't have made that choice that felt like not only snide and clued in Mm -hmm. which I think makes sense because it feels like such a clueless Mm -hmm. time but how did the internet play kind of any role in your high school experience oh yeah I mean I definitely like the internet I remember like a lot of like aim profiles and away messages or instant messenger chatting with somebody like for hours and then like (laughs) that sort of thing I remember really Facebook wasn't like out yet but I remember like aim being the biggest thing and like AOL profiles and stuff like that and like that and you knew people were friends that they had it like in their away message and like Oh, I guess when I was in high school, MySpace was starting to exist. So I still think about this today, like top eight, like who's in your top eight. That was like a big thing. I wasn't cool enough to be getting like music from MySpace. I don't know if you remember that at all or if like you. Yeah, I was a tiny bit after MySpace, very Facebook era. I feel like that kind of thing was starting to have like a huge impact. And it was like really difficult. Mm -hmm. Like I'm sure for you too, like with using Facebook, seeing people post on each other's walls or whatever. Like, I feel like that started to get really hard for like, as you matured into that or as like you aged into that. Was there gossip on the internet in your high school? I'm trying to remember. There definitely was, but I feel like I like, I'm not like coming up with good answers. I'm so sorry, but there definitely was. I remember one time I had a crush on this guy and the way we found out that we liked each other was through this new social media website that barely lasted. And it was called Sconex, like skin, like you could connect like through your school or something. And you had to say if you had a crush on somebody or you didn't have to, but you could say if you had a crush on somebody, but it only told you if it was that person, if you liked each other back. And that's how we found out that we liked each other. I wish that I had had that. That sounds like exactly what you would want by the time mm-hmm. high school was almost over we had but i went to a really small high school and by the end almost everyone had a facebook page if you didn't it wasn't because you didn't want to it was because your parents wouldn't let you yeah 
and by the end there was um there was a page called phs crushes which is the mm. you know the high school acronym and you could submit and say you know anonymously like oh i have a crush on this person but then people also just started being like i love this person's hair yeah. this person's and so it was like very rarely cruel that was yeah. bullying was not really a thing at my high school oh wow um, yeah i think I went to a weird high school where everything was about academics and so like I yeah. joke that we were all bullying ourselves. There was just sort of like no like bandwidth for it. We're just trying to survive and which yeah. I think was something that surprised me about this book is how relatable those things yes. felt about like college extracurriculars mm. and your resume mm. as a 17 year old, 18 year old. I feel like it doesn't downplay like, I feel like that was also the era when it started getting really hard to get into college. If that makes sense. Or like when college got really yeah. expensive too. Like it always was pricey. But I feel like I remember like being somebody a year older than me told me they were applying to, um, I want to say like something like 30 schools or something like that. Like I feel like that was when all the competitiveness really hit a peak. Mm -hmm. So I did, I do appreciate, yeah, that this book like is like, doesn't shy away from like, you know, like I have to do like my AP homework. And I was, also in like these AP classes or whatever. And it was like, it was hard. It was a lot of work because it was like, I remember taking on all these extracurriculars because I was like, I'm not going to get into college. What were some yeah. of your extracurriculars? I had so many that yeah. like, it was like to the point that like, I was like all over the yearbook in kind of a way that was like embarrassing. Like, <laughs> or just like in yearbook pictures, I started the book club. I was in the key club, like the volunteer club, basically. <laughs> I was in history club. I was on the debate team. I was the secretary of Arista. I was, oh, Arista is the National yeah. Honor Society. And oh, I was secretary. Okay. I was on the Lit Mag. I was on the newspaper, I think. It was yeah. a lot. So I was like, I'm not going to get into college. Wow. Mine was, um, I had the opposite problem of like, I had Girl Scouts and piano. Oh. And that was kind of it. I really wanted mm -hmm. to do Girl Scouts and they didn't have a chapter where I grew up. My nieces are in it now, yeah. and I'm like, oh, that's so cool. All of my extracurriculars were decided very early as, like, my parents did these, so that's what you're going to yeah. do. And, like, oh. there was a lot of, like, sports, that's not our family. I don't know. Yeah. Have, a, have a musical instrument. Because of Girl Scouts, I ended up starting a knitting club at oh. my school. I love which that. I, it did not last very long. There was a film club that was two people. It was me and this upperclassman that this was a question I wanted to ask of like, mm. Jenny, it really idolizes Serena. Yeah. Did you have that or know of that? Was there someone that everything with Jenny was really fascinating? Didn't yeah, you? yeah. I didn't have that. I don't, don't think at my high school, but I definitely had that at like my sleepaway camp. Oh, like yeah. there were girls, older girls that, that I definitely thought seemed like so cool like older counselors who I was like oh I want to like they just seem really fun and like boys like them and stuff like that and I felt like I was like I have frizzy hair and nobody will ever talk to me but yeah I feel like at my high school it was so big truly like my graduating class was 850 wow. and I was like I really feel like I was just trying to survive like I had good friends and all of that and I but all I really remember about high school is like working hard and like yes. wanting to do well we had like um a split schedule so my sophomore year I was going to school 10 a.m to 5 p.m oh my god <laughs> like I had a full-time job yeah there was obviously like drama and like fighting and stuff like that but there was no real like in crowd or mm -hmm. like popular people and people would tell themselves that they were but it's like there's too many of us for anybody to, to truly be so popular I was just happy to have like my group and I feel like I got a lot of like the petty stuff from like my Jewish sleepaway camp and the Jewish youth group I was in where it was like all mean girls that gave me complexes yeah. that's like where I feel like I can relate to more of that if that makes sense yeah speaking of that like era is that's another thing that's so funny to me about the book is every single line or every other line is like what brand they're wearing <laughs> because like that was also like peak juicy couture I don't know if you had that like juicy couture and hardtail and like all of these like Jappy brands and by mm -hmm. Jappy I mean Jewish American princess which I can say because I'm Jewish all of these like Jappy brands that were like everywhere and I feel like that was also like peak consumerism you know yeah. and that's yeah. what this book is like so much of it's about and I think if it didn't have that 
edge, it would be like insufferable. But I think the edge balances it out because these people are clearly not happy and Mm -hmm. like probably never will be. And I also, I feel like a lot of books and YA books can sometimes really valorize the male characters. Mm -hmm. The guys in these books suck. And that's like fine because that's like what men are like. Absolutely. I didn't know how to highlight. So I (laughs) took screenshots of pages. Yeah. I did highlight like the the fashion moments that felt very memorable to me and what made me sad was that when they're describing Dan's fashion as like being out of it he they were describing things that I wore in high school (laughs) or currently (laughs) I remember there was like black faded corduroys which I did wear Mm -hmm. all through high school and he's wearing black hushed puppies and I have a pair of blue hushed puppies in the next room (laughs) but there was black ballet flats and pink army print handbags and Mm -hmm. black leather jeans and a purple velvet umpire waist sheath dress with beaded straps it was a lot of beaded going and like everything is like low rise also dan being from the upper west side like a big thing that the show changed so in the book obviously dan and jenny live on the upper west side and their dad is like this big intellectual marxist type and i don't know how familiar you are with like upper east side versus upper west side but that that was kind of like a thing for a long time where like the Upper East Side kids were rich and it's not like Upper West Side people were poor, but it was like a little more working class. Mm-hmm. Now, like you can't afford to live anywhere, but like the Upper West Side was like, because I think it was a little more associated with like intellectualism. Right. So if you ever see the movie Metropolitan, it's a Whit Stillman movie. I don't think so, no. Okay, well, it's really good. It's kind of like the original Gossip Girl. Everybody's talking about a girl named Serena. So, like, yeah, weird, weird parallel there. But it's a great movie. They're, like, the rich Upper East Side kids. And then across, like, there's an Upper West Side guy. And he, again, he's not, like, poor, but he's just shabbier in comparison. It's, like, these two different worlds. And one thing the show does is that instead of living on the Upper West Side, the Humphreys live in Brooklyn. Which makes a lot of sense for like 2007 when the show came out because that was way more of a contrast than Upper East versus Upper West. Even though it had only been five years, that was when everybody was talking about Brooklyn. But the the thing that the show does that drives me crazy, and even at the time was insane, is they keep saying it's Williamsburg, but it's so clearly Dumbo. (laughs) And it, it actually, it's infuriating and it makes me feel like I'm being gaslit. But no, that happens with uh, with shows that are set in DC because they oh. always get it wrong. <laughs> they always. My favorite was Bones sure. because they would be like, "I have oh. to go to the Smithsonian as if it's <laughs> one building. It's really like twelve, but okay." Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Bones took place in DC. Wow. Yeah, um, Bones and like X Files, but X Files oh. gets it right. Okay, uh, good to know. The creator had a like a brother or a cousin or something who was from where I'm from, so you'll see crawls that are like very accurate. It's it's a nice little touch oh okay that's good to know um i've never watched the x files but i know i probably should i mean it's good if you need there's so much of it there's yeah there's so um, much of... well i spent four to five days watching two seasons of the morning show which we don't have to get into here but it almost killed me <laughs> i i was watching you do that i've seen yeah. very little of the morning show for reasons I think you understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably don't watch it if you want to hold on to your sanity. But if you want to see how how far you can be pushed to your limit, then True. watch it. But I think that's one thing that's very interesting about the book and then the book versus the TV show is kind of the way it does talk about like these weird New York City kind of politics, for lack of a better way to describe it. Did you encounter at all or like as an adult now Mm. encounter these this type of teen definitely like going to camp there were some people i knew they weren't upper east side teens but yeah they were going to these places like they were going to bars like i have a friend and this is actually an old coworker who is to be to be fair she's a good like six seven years older than me but she said she was going to marquee which is like a old famous new york bar when she was 14 so like Yeah, there was a level of this. And if you watch the shows in like the heyday of Gossip Girl, I don't remember the exact year it came out, but there was a show called NYC Prep. And it was a reality show based on kids like this. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, man. 
I really I don't know how, that, but it also yeah. feels exploitative. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much it showed them like drinking because I don't mm-hmm. know if it could get away with that, but like just showing the drama they had. Yeah. And I like loved it, obviously. Again, like I think it's one thing, and I have conversations with friends about stuff like this too. It's one thing to like have a fantasy of New York and like it's another to kind of be here but not able to experience right. anything, you know, yeah. which is how I felt for a long time living in like Fresh Meadows, which is where I'm from, Mm -hmm. which is New York City. It's Queens, but I'm not, you know, walking out of my apartment and like, I mean, Central Park is obviously an insane thing to see when you walk out of your apartment, but I'm not in the middle of everything. Right. And that must be interesting and also frustrating that there is such like you and these people are existing in the same geographic space. And yet there is such a different experience Mm -hmm. of what New York is and how you define and how you experience it. And another thing I should say is like, yeah, like rich kids obviously existed in New York for all time. But when I was younger, you could grow up in Manhattan and it wouldn't automatically mean that you were extremely wealthy. Like Mm -hmm. there was still much more of like a working or middle class presence in Manhattan. And so I have a friend who grew up like off of Washington Square Park, basically like downtown. We went to college together. And when I talk to him, he tells me I'm not really from New York. Uh, Yeah. I mean, he's that kind of like person. He's, okay, mm-hmm. he's you know, whatever, but he's gonna give me a hard time right. about anything. But yeah, like that's kind of like, you'll find people who don't necessarily see you as like a real New Yorker if you're not from Manhattan or I guess like immediately outside of it, you know, like Brooklyn Heights or whatever. Man, there's a very human need to create hierarchy and structure. Yes. yes. And I think high school is, mm-hmm. is maybe one of the best places to explore oh, that. yeah. Yeah. Structure. Yeah, absolutely. These kids are just so mean to each other because they have everything they want. So they need to create conflict Mm -hmm. in like any way that they can. One thing that I really appreciated as a touch Mm -hmm. was like the intricacies of invitations to any event and who is invited Mm -hmm. and who isn't. And how do you get people to it without other people knowing. And I loved that this whole benefit that the the book is leading up to is for only kids. <laughs> so I don't understand how they're going to get money if there are no point. adults there. That is a good point. <laughs> that reminds me, I was talking about American Psycho and like Brett Easton Ellis. I read this thing, I think it was an interview with Candace Bushnell, which I feel like obviously this book is like very like a descendant of sex in the city, you know what I mean, which had like started a few years earlier. And she said that back in the 90s, like, because this was people just went out like nonstop. If this was 1997 or whatever, you and I wouldn't we wouldn't be at home, we would be like bars, like that's what people just did. Like they went out an unbelievable amount. Because like, if you wanted to do anything, you had to do it in person, pretty much like, other than talking on the phone, which like, wasn't always cheap you had to just go meet somebody somewhere so like they all went out so much and she said this thing about Brett at Brett Easton Ellis she said that because people used to send paper invitations for everything he had a giant whiteboard and he would put all of his invitations on it and then figure out what to go to each night based on that I know I know it's like so different now I get emails about stuff but not a paid invitation unless it's a wedding. There's this really interesting balance between the very adult things that are happening and how young the kids are. Yes, like yeah. The, I think the opening page is Blair watching Nickelodeon so that she's not thinking about her mom mm-hmm. having sex in the next room over. Yeah. It's interesting, obviously, to look at loss of innocence and growing up and things like that, but I think it's also interesting to find those behaviors Mm -hmm. in adulthood because they're very much there and there are so many places where Mm -hmm. things devolve into high school or middle school politics Mm -hmm. yeah we just don't have to do guys yeah one thing I like used to say is like no matter like what you're in like even as adults if it's comedy if it's your job if it's your zog soccer team however you spend your time socially people are going to recreate high school it's just the truth it's a really sad truth but it just is like it's just like instinct and i think that's like why also she skewers the parents so much Mm -hmm. is like because they're clearly despite all their money at least talking about blair's mom stunted in their own ways yeah and it's at least with the parents it's super heightened i mean in, in that like first chapter or two Blair's soon-to-be stepfather mm. is is asking her boyfriend about their sex life. Yeah. Which is just, why, of course, like yeah. wildly 
wrong. In that scene, they bring it up a couple times, Blair sewed this heart into Nate's sweater, which I think Mm -hmm. is so cute. I definitely felt like a Blair and that I felt like second Mm -hmm. fiddle. I felt Mm -hmm. like, you know, everyone wanted my best friend and I was the sidekick. But also, I keep realizing maybe just everybody feels like that. Maybe that's just what it's like. I only know one person who I think would refer, it's a guy, would refer to himself as a Serena. And whenever he says stuff like that, I'm like, you're delusional. Mm -hmm. The heart detail I bring up, partly because I I really felt for Blair as a character, but also because I was like, you had to learn how to sew. Mm -hmm. I don't think, like, I learned to sew at Girl Scout camp. I feel like Blair Waldorf would have someone who does that for her. And I think that added, like, a layer of sweetness to it. That's a good point. Yeah, because, like, it's like who doesn't see their life as like a movie or want everything to feel like it's following a plot Mm -hmm. especially like her parents got divorced and also like they're writing about her dad being gay and like kind of a way that's like mostly fine but sometimes Mm -hmm. you're like I don't know if this is holding up and so it's like that's how she's kind of dealing with these like traumatic events especially for somebody who her and Serena clearly were best friends and she doesn't have anybody that she can lean on so I think that makes like perfect sense and very yeah it's extremely relatable which also reminds me I also relate her brother being like obsessed with almost famous is like such a funny detail because I was obsessed with almost famous so I feel like thinking back to myself reading this book probably like jumping up and down in excitement that they mentioned like this movie I loved I was really surprised that first off that there is a hinted queerness between Blair and Serena yeah yeah Um, and that it was handled well and, and respectful and it wasn't like a joke or a throwaway. I think there's an element definitely with Jenny of, I don't know if you're queer, I am, of feeling like, I don't know if I want to be Serena or be with her. Right. And that, like, at least I had that and I didn't know the difference. I didn't know that I was queer at that point or, like, was able to navigate it. And that mm-hmm. I think that was one thing I really appreciated about Jenny is, is the rabidity mm-hmm. that she has for all of this. Yeah. Yeah, she's just, like, so excited. Excited. And so that's why she's so excited that it's like she's kind of the perfect foil yeah. for these people to take advantage of her. The books that follow her to boarding school, mm-hmm. the tone is like a little nicer, which yeah. is interesting and yeah. makes me think that's how I know this was written by somebody else. Right. <laughs> Probably two different ghostwriters because like they talk about her body in a much more like flattering way Mm -hmm. and not constantly making fun of her for having big boobs. It was very heavy handed in terms of the things that don't age well. That was a really big one. And I think the the chuck of it all is is such a like obviously awful, awful person. Mm -hmm. He's also treated like a doofus and sort of mm-hmm. the joke of it. And there's a lot of moments where it's like, you know, Chuck didn't even mind that the scroll was passed out. And it's so flippant. Mm-hmm. And yet Vonsa Gaser depicts him as a predator, like gives it, you see fully how scary he can be. It was such an odd not really bouncing act, but it just kept flipping. Like they, when they introduce him, it's so funny of like, it's Mm. this guy who always wears this stupid scarf. Yeah. It is so hung up on X, Y, and Z. It makes me uncomfortable. I think because two things can exist in the same person and Mm -hmm. the danger can cohabitate so easily. I think that's an extremely good point. And I think like, it's really upsetting, but I also feel like that's really how guys were back then Mm -hmm. and potentially are still now like there was always that one friend who was kind of gross do you know what I'm talking about ask about this like what was there a chuck because I like my high school was so sexually repressed Mm -hmm. that I don't think I didn't know about one I feel like it wasn't at my high school but Mm -hmm. at my like sleepaway camp or like my Jewish like youth group you know I had like a lot of internalized misogyny from it Mm -hmm. for a really long time because it was just like the way we talked about women was really upsetting and like it was the same thing like I was saying earlier like you're expected to do these things but if you do too much of them Mm -hmm. you're a slut basically Mm -hmm. you know and I wasn't really hooking up or dating at that point in my life other than like a few 
infractions, but yeah. like I was a late bloomer, as they mm-hmm. say. So like a lot of that wasn't happening to me until I got a little older. And then I felt like there were definitely instances of things like that happening though to my friends mm-hmm. and then later happening to me where like sometimes you don't have the strength or the energy to deny somebody because they're so persistent right and that's really upsetting it shouldn't be like that and you know I remember like hearing guys say things like um I don't know if you this is upsetting but I'm this is the kind of thing they would say like no means yes and yes means anal like things like that yeah Mm -hmm. where it felt like We weren't at that place of talking about like consent yet. Mm -hmm. With Chuck and the way it's presented and the way it's talked about, it's sort of like a force of nature. Like this is just something that exists and you have to contend with it. Like there are going to be floods sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And that's just part of life, which is horrifying. (laughs) Yeah, no, and that's a good point. It's like, that's especially what these guys are like. These like rich, entitled guys Mm -hmm. who don't usually hear no, can't understand that somebody like might not be interested and like what he does to Serena is bad. And then the way he is with Jenny is like horrifying. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you get her point of view a little bit, but I feel like she's mostly just embarrassed. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's traumatizing that your yeah. first sexual encounter is not one that you agreed to. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Chuck in the show has mm-hmm. a really big part. I don't want right. to like spoil anything, but he's a really big part of the show. In the book, he wanes so Mm -hmm. I don't really remember what his plot lines are Mm -hmm. other than I think he honestly mostly becomes for like comic relief Mm -hmm. all I remember is at one point he gets a monkey and then I think he comes out as bisexual oh god (laughs) that tracks so I don't really know if there's any kind of like redemption or beyond that just like vindication or Mm -hmm. justice not in the second book so I'll oh. tell you that much. He's not mm-hmm. in it at all, but he comes back. But I don't remember anything except him being kind of like a goof. Yeah, which is so terrifying. Yeah. The, the, the sexual predator is the comedic relief character in a young yeah. adult book series. From what I recall. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he definitely is in this book. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. One thing that's really interesting, and I'm so curious if you watch the show, how closely the pilot mirrors the book. I'd say the biggest difference between... Other than like where they eventually take the series, Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, the biggest difference is what it does with the parents. The parents have storylines in a way that they don't in the book. That makes sense, I guess, from a TV branding standpoint. Exactly. Especially also, which as you maybe know, it's the same people who did the OC. So they kind of follow a very similar formula. And I feel like that... But having the parents helps them like ground the stories, which also speaking of like the OC feels like it's in conversation with Gossip Girl. Like you have these hot teens messing around. I feel like we were in this very materialistic time where you weren't allowed to be like young anymore. You know, they talk about getting really drunk in eighth grade, you know, the way they talk about each other is Mm. so crazy. But I know there was a, a moment where they're talking about that eighth grade party. And I think it's Dan is referred to as kinky. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that was a real thing I felt growing up Mm -hmm. that like, was the idea, like, I think I was just in such a rush to get older. I didn't want to be 14, 15, 16. I wanted to be like, older and I wanted to be seen a certain way Mm -hmm. and there was no level of like oh I should enjoy my youth like I can't wait to be of a certain age so I can dress a certain way drink come into my own and there was no real focus on like even though I was really busy with school and extracurriculars and I knew I like wanted to be a writer it wasn't like oh I should enjoy this time in my life and not grow up too fast Mm -hmm. because all I was seeing was like mean girls or like girls who were older than me but like said to be my age and what they looked like on screen in retrospect i think this book plays into that a lot i think the culture said this probably for a long time and the media was screaming it Mm -hmm. that the worst thing in the world that you could be is a teen girl yeah yeah you have no value no respect even the content created for you is deemed trash I rewatched American Pie, I think, during the pandemic. What they do to, like, Shannon Elizabeth. Have you seen that movie? I haven't seen it, no. Oh. I never watched it because 
my parents were like, this will scar you if you oh, see Allison Hannigan yeah. outside of Buffy. Like, you just won't get it. Oh. And it will traumatize you. And Smart. now I'm very good friends with Sean William Scott, who is oh. the sweetest, purest person in the world. Yeah. And I, That's so funny. I don't want to see him as Stifler. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Just on its face, like, they live stream Shannon Elizabeth naked. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's not okay no. to, like, show a naked woman without her, without her knowledge yeah. to, hu- like, hundreds, thousands of people. And it was played for laughs. And, like, you're mm-hmm. coming into this time where it feels like you kind of have to be, like, for lack of a better way to put it, like, a pick-me. Mm-hmm. So, like, men don't treat you a certain way. Or it's, like, I think also plays a lot into, like, the Madonna horror complex. Mm-hmm. Like, Absolutely. You, you can't be, like, a girl and be sexual and be seen, like, still as a person. Mm-hmm. You're one or the other. And, you know, not to say that we've gotten rid of all this completely, but obviously it's miles and miles away yeah. better than it used to be. There was yeah. such an interesting moment because, you know, there, there's mm-hmm. this conflict and tension through the book of will Blair and Nate have sex and there's this moment really early on I think they're making out and it says Blair tries to remain fragile and baby bird like in his arms and that I need to just sit with that for a while (laughs) you know there were a lot of things that really stayed with me this is from I think maybe the second book I reread that first before I reread the first Mm -hmm. one and the second book Nate puts his hand on Blair's stomach and it's like a man should never put his hand on a woman's stomach unless she asks him to and it's like things like that I really internalized I guess that's crazy and like on that Blair spent so much time romanticizing her life and dreaming about Mm -hmm. about what it could be even then like there's a a, also another moment really early on where she's describing the ideal movie Mm -hmm. and it's that they're married and Nate has a drinking problem and she would stand by him and love him forever even if he occasionally wet the bed yeah good lord this is the dream this Mm -hmm. is what you think you deserve yeah Jesus Christ so he like needs her he depends Mm -hmm. on her because otherwise it's like she can't imagine a man like just choosing to be with her of his own volition yeah she is not presented with a role that she could play Mm -hmm. outside of of being a support yeah i'm sure that's like what they see their parents doing Mm -hmm. you know they're playing that out this did bring back like certain memories for me like she says something about like a daffy's bag and i was like i remember daffy's and like random things like that but one thing that i thought was so funny is, and I always tell people, like, Williamsburg stopped being, like, cool yeah. way before you thought it did. Like, it hasn't been cool in, like, 20 years. But the way I know this is because Vanessa's sister lives in Williamsburg. If the characters of Gossip Girl are going to Williamsburg, then, like, it's already over. Yeah. <laughs> That's, like, a little bit of an exaggeration. But I was, like... That's so interesting that it was already kind of in the conversation like that. Mm-hmm. Except she does say that Vanessa finds a crack pipe on the street in Williamsburg. <laughs> and I'm like, you wouldn't find that now. Is Vanessa in the show at all? She is. They wait a little bit to introduce her. It's similar in that like she wants to be a filmmaker. She yeah. was the character that I actually ended up identifying the most yeah, with. Yeah, that's fair. Lot. She's supposed to be, like, another, like, moral compass for Dan, but ends up getting kind of also sucked into this world. I will say, I'm guessing you've seen, like, posters of the show or people, Leighton Meester and Blake Lively, impeccable casting. Like, (laughs) I remember when the show was coming out, and I knew who Blake Lively was because of Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. And I was like, that makes perfect sense. Everybody they cast in every role is, like, 100% right. I've never watched a second of the show, but I I know the characters, I know the names, I know the faces. And it did feel, like even just reading it with a a poster amount of context, Mm. the casting felt so good. There was even like, when Serena makes her big entrance at the first party, like the she's back Mm. moment, they say that she has this magnetic, delicious, you can't stop looking at me, can you smile? Mm. And I know that, but I'm 25. (laughs) And yet she's a fascinating character because Mm. she knows how she's perceived Mm -hmm. and yet has the like wherewithal to stare back. Yeah, yeah, And has this gumption that by all rights she shouldn't have because the world should have like chewed her up and spit her out yeah the show is a little more sympathetic of her 
than the book is. The book, I feel like, can't really decide how it feels about her. Precisely, yeah. Yeah. Because I think that the reader ends up, I felt sympathy for her, Mm -hmm. but the tone in which, like, Gossip Girl, the character, has so much disdain for her. Yeah. And it's also just less clear, and maybe it's, I mean, on purpose or whatever, what she actually, like, did that was, like, when she was gone, or Mm -hmm. what, you know what I mean? And, like, in some ways, it's, like, that's nobody's business. The show is a little more like, she's not as bad as like the rumors. It's a little more definitive about that. Right. Through Jenny and the way she sees her, I think it, it is very interesting and successful to market a book as like, this is the mean girls, you know, of yeah. your school. This is the girl that, you know, you hate, but you want to be. So you go into it expecting to loathe her and they trick you. And by the end, you really care about her. Yeah. And, and yeah. you see how the, the whole world is set up against her. It's true. That was also at a time she goes to Chelsea where like uptown and downtown was still like a different Thing. Whereas now, I don't know, like I read this other book that takes place, it's like current, follows like a girl who's from one of these families. Mm-hmm. And then it's like a more serious like novel called Necessary People. Mm-hmm. And it follows a girl from one of these families and then her college roommate who was not born into a lot of money and then kind of benefits from being so close with somebody mm-hmm. from like a dynasty. They talk about like fancy restaurants like this place, Daniel which mm-hmm. I think also maybe gets referenced in one of the Gossip Girl books. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I don't think people my age care about that world anymore so much. Yeah, I don't have friends who want to go to the Carlisle for dinner. I feel like that's also something that really shifted the people who, you know, are in their 20s and 30s who when they get money, they're not looking to like, go to the Four Seasons or the Beverly Hills Hotel. They want to go to like Little Doms. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Just to throw in an LA reference. I don't know if that's even a good one. I arrived in LA, you know, six months before COVID. Oh, yeah. But also, like, I don't know if I would even know that in a pre-COVID world, because I love being at home. (laughs) You know? Extremely fair. I feel like there's more interest of in trendy things than, like, this old world that you used to previously aspire to. I don't think I know anybody who, if they got a million dollars and could buy an apartment anywhere they would say, I want to live on the Upper East Side. They mm-hmm. would want to get a place in, like, Fort Greene, you know? Yeah. Maybe the apt comparison for L.A. is, like, no 20-something wants mm-hmm. to go to, like, Musso and Frank's, which is, like, yeah. one of the oldest in L.A. And, like, I'm very into classic Hollywood, so I'll read about, like, the places that everyone wanted to be seen and everyone had dinner right. together. And obviously L.A. and New York, very different cities, but those at one time were legacy establishments, mm-hmm. and now there's so much turnover you you talked about how sort of like prescient she is in some ways and i love that serena's first day back opens with almost a land acknowledgement she says especially for the native americans that were slaughtered in the founding of this country of whom we ask no hard feelings for celebrating columbus day yesterday yeah yeah. (laughs) also i have been to muso and franks so i get it yeah important yeah it's a good re- good reference for me um it's like a fun thing to do yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. it's a thing to do once i guess rather yes. than a place yes. to be every exactly Friday. yeah and i agree with that like i did it once i don't live in la but vis- i visited a lot so i went once and it, yeah it was a fun thing to do as opposed to like if i lived in la i'd probably go to covell like every weekend mm-hmm. you know just also, the gallery is called White Hot Gallery, and that made me laugh because I was like, try a little harder. Yeah. <laughs> Screenshot it. Do we ever find out? It is funny. She's like 17 and then immediately accosted by like two short gay men who are like all over her. And I'm like, this is so weird. Yeah. And they're like, let's put, I mean, what yeah. I assumed to be a butthole on the side of a bus, um, which is just... And it has her name, Serena, written in blue in the corners. And everyone knows it has to be this one high schooler. Yeah. (laughs) That's an extremely good point. I screenshotted. Okay, I'm obsessed with the list of celebrities. Who, honestly, (laughs) the ratio of people that are still pretty famous today is, like, because Kate Moss, Kate Mm -hmm. Hudson, Joaquin Phoenix, Mm -hmm. Jude Law, Giselle Bundchen, Cher, Eminem, Christina Aguilera, Madonna, Elton John. Those, like, strike me as all pretty famous people still. And then she mentions, like, the magazines, like, Art Forum, Vogue, W. Harper's Bazaar, and the New York Times. And I'm like, oh, I remember when that meant something. Like, (laughs) that when magazines existed. It's just, like, so 
different, like the amount of power now, Mm -hmm. or like, I mean, there are still people that stuff matters too. And a world where like, it's still a big deal to be in the Sunday times, the style section. It's just so different than Mm -hmm. like when I was younger and like starting to be aware of the world. Yeah. I feel like there are just so many more options and the proliferation of options makes you care less. Yeah. And also the people who were were writing for the magazines were making enough money to like live, not Mm -hmm. quite in this world, but in the world. And now it's like, none of these people make any money. So it's like, they're not quite seen at the same level if that yeah, makes sense the same parties yeah yeah exactly she mentions a bar that I went to when I was right out of college called mm-hmm. Park and that made me laugh because I used to go out when I was early 20s like meatpacking and like Chelsea and I feel like that was also something that was like a big deal at the time because mm-hmm. it was just starting to become what it is like well I actually don't even really know what it is now but starting to become a thing and now it's like the window of like trendy New York to like completely oversaturated Mm -hmm. in New York is like this it's a day it's yeah yeah it's a day (laughs) yeah did you like the book I think absolutely yeah Yeah. the best word I can use is delectable delectable (laughs) I love that if you watch the show if you like the book you will love the show yeah It is like that first season is like so fun to watch. It's very, it's extremely like juicy, Mm -hmm. you know, exactly the word. Yeah. Yeah. Because it takes everything that's set up here. I think this is a really good primer, Mm -hmm. but I think the show just takes it further in a way that makes you care more. And Mm -hmm. I think does not a a better job in some ways as a satire than the book does. Mm -hmm. The book is written in this this very flippant tone that is obviously Mm -hmm. purposeful. But I think in the end, like one thing that I was really struck by is that the character of Gossip Girl Mm -hmm. is very upfront about I want to be famous. I love fame. Mm And I think like, we don't get that these days anymore. It's actually really fascinating to me because like, it was a time when being famous meant like you being famous meant a still a level of privacy that just doesn't exist now and um I can tell this kind of all folds a lot of different things together I can tell Variety is running out of things to write about because the strike because they aggregated Olivia Rodrigo saying she had to walk out of the Ari Aster movie but was afraid and I was like why is this a headline from Variety it's something she talks about so briefly in an interview with Phoebe Bridgers and then they're like Olivia Rodrigo had to walk out of Ari Aster's movie it's like who the fuck cares you know it's like you can say anything and like obviously it's a little different right now because like these places are like they don't have anything to literally mm-hmm. don't have anything to write about because like the strikes but I'm like so much especially with the strike which obviously it's good the strike is happening etc but you can really see how it's affecting these outlets mm-hmm. because they are taking like even more so podcasts interviews and just aggregating 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 I'd say it three times and I think it just feels like probably a level of like oh I can't say anything mm-hmm. you know which is so great like so crazy and it's really it's hard that I've been thinking about this a lot because also I'm curious if you agree with me I feel like for a long long time we wanted our rock stars to be like larger than life right yeah. we wanted them to be like Mick Jagger, Keith Richards. I think now what we want from celebrities is we want them to be relatable. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we used to not have that. And I think it speaks to like her being like, I want to be famous because now if somebody said that, we'd be like, that's gauche. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You're supposed to want to be normal. So do you listen to like Boy Genius? Yeah, yeah. I was reading this interview between Phoebe Bridgers and Olivia Rodrigo and Phoebe Bridgers is like, we don't go to the bar after we cuddle. And I was like, I don't believe you. No. I don't believe you. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I think you're lying. Stop lying. Yeah. I, but another thing that this book, in terms of Gossip Girl, reminds me of, because we were talking about celebrity, is like the writer being a celebrity, which mm-hmm. like we have famous writers, but not like we did probably when like Cecily Von Zagesar, who, you know, is coming like up in the 90s, early 2000s, is seeing like Jay McInerney and I know I talked about Brady Sinellis but like writers at like the MTV awards you know yeah. what I mean like she's seeing them like be these really influential people in culture and again writers are important but they're not celebrities the yeah. way they were and I think that is an interesting to think about in terms of like 
Gossip Girl as well. And because also like in that sense, like she is kind of like a puppet master too. Like she controls what gets written about these people. There's things the TV show does with Gossip Girl themselves. That's all I'll say. Okay. Uh, Because I don't want to ruin anything for you that are annoying. And I kind of wish they'd talk about who Gossip Girl is and want to find out. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. that's one thing I wish the show hadn't done. Because it's like, I don't care. Is that any of the books at all about trying to find out who? I don't think so. I think it's just something they like live with and deal with and don't Mm -hmm. really worry about from what I recall. And then on the show... I could be wrong, though. But on the mm-hmm. show, a whole thing is sending tips into Gossip Girl and who sent it and why yeah. and, like, that kind of thing. And people lying to Gossip Girl. Mm-hmm. It becomes much more of, like, a present thing right. than just a blog. People want to know who Dumas is mm-hmm. and, like, is Dumas being honest? And, like, who sends tips to Dumas is important context because a lot of times it's publicists. Mm-hmm. And a lot Absolutely. of times they're fake. And, like, she's talked about her, like, screening process which there's not much of one but there is one light one and it makes sense to want to know and everybody i mean wants a mystery i guess yeah wow i didn't watch bridgerton but i guess it's like a similar i watched some of the first season and i guess it's like a similar idea in terms yeah. of like lady whistledown and who is lady whistledown and and i mean that makes sense that that and gossip girl and things like that are in the zeitgeist in mm-hmm. an internet age where like surveillance feels like mm-hmm. a very real yeah that's true phenomenon. that's true and also people probably were starting to like stay home more and like going online more so of course that's going to spring up I love the way they introduce Vanessa as like mm-hmm. she is taking everything seriously and no yeah. one else's because that was mm-hmm. definitely me, especially in the two-person film club. Oh, um, <laughs> I love that. Their go-to lunch is lemon yogurt and romaine lettuce. Mm. I like that his dad calls Sears the proletariat <laughs> department yeah. store. I was really struck by the purity almost of some of the brother-sister relationships. Yeah. Like, that Serena talks really fondly about her brother like going out to buy maxi pads when she gets her period for the first mm-hmm. time. There's such a sweet thing between Dan and Jenny, mm-hmm. even that like Jenny is always updating him on Serena, mm-hmm. even though he doesn't ask for it and he acts mm-hmm. like bothered by yeah. it. Yeah. Their relationship does feel very like, yeah, like the pure relationships it feels purposeful in the sense that like i mean serena has her brother eric Mm -hmm. but i feel like nobody else has these nice strings free relationships Mm -hmm. you know what i mean which like in theory should be how serena and blair are to each other because like they were like sisters but obviously it's like a lot more complicated than that that's a you know? good point. Yeah. Like, you have someone automatically on your side. When she orders a rum and coke. Oh my and God. then yeah, I, I was like, too. oh, I was like, yuck. <laughs> and then and then she says, I'll have a shot of Stoli and a Coke on the side. I was like, that's disgusting. <laughs> For some reason, I'm picturing this rum and coke to be warm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm like. the attitude in the book and i think blair does this to herself was like oh poor blair and it'd be like blair's drink would be room temperature Mm -hmm. also another thing is that they all have to throw up like all the time in addition to blair's Blair's bulimia i feel like they're all constantly like nauseous Mm -hmm. and drinking on an empty stomach which also feels very 2000s culture like are they ever sober you know and then her cosmopolitan at a fancy hotel bar only cost twenty dollars with tip and i was like it's nice that that would cover that because it wouldn't now i think in that same scene blair says what i think might be like one of the most effective insults ever where she she tells serena i feel sorry for your parents (laughs) oh i know (laughs) oh Yikes. I mean, I appreciate that they're kind of like, yeah, if you party all the time, school's going to be hard. Yeah. At one point, Nate cuts Jim to go play soccer in in Central Park. It's like, dude, that's the same thing. <laughs> you're you're, you're yeah. cutting class to do the exact same yeah. thing. Oh, um, and also another mm-hmm. big difference. I don't want to spoil like too much again, but the schools aren't like they're like brother and sister school, so they yeah. share a building, just mm-hmm. which makes a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah Dan is, is, there's so many cabs, it's gotta be so expensive. Mm-hmm. 
I hate it this time, but I'm also nostalgic, mm -hmm. unfortunately. You talked about like wanting to be out of it so much that you didn't yeah. take it. You didn't take the time to enjoy it. Yeah. And in one of the moments, Gossip Girl is writing at some point and she goes, at least I've given us all something to think about while we're getting our pedicures, plucking our mm -hmm. eyebrows and squeezing our zits. And I was like, oh, that was like a community and a shared mm -hmm. experience. Yeah. That, And I, I think that's part of like the, the thing of it all of being a teen is that it feels isolating. Yeah. And that no one else is going through it. But like oh, that was a shared experience. I didn't relish when I had it. Mm -hmm. And just how easy it was to like see your friends and like yeah. you all lived around each other. It's hard to get stuff like that back. Yeah. yeah. It's all the nastiest parts that I, w I miss yeah. in a way. Like. How do you feel having read it as an adult and come off this experience? Well, it's hard for me in a way because, like I said, like I, I rewatched the show so <laughs> much and I was in a Gossip Girl DM group for a lot oh, of the pandemic. Good. So, yeah. So I feel like the book is a lot of what I remember and it's weird to like see certain words or phrases and like remember oh, I really internalized this so much or I remember reading this or like this at this point, these books, you know, I was reading them a long time ago and, you know, I remember reading one and she's describing like fall in New York and how beautiful it is. And it's not because of climate change. New yeah. York in the fall is not what it used to be. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So like I remember like reading my book and like looking up and like feeling like, oh, it is beautiful, you know, these trees mm -hmm. or whatever. And now... We don't have that. So yeah, it's like this weird mix of like, thank God our culture doesn't look like this, but this is so prescient. Mm -hmm. But also like, I miss this time, but I don't. Yeah. And like a weird combination of feelings. And also yeah. this book is better written than it has to be. Yeah. And yeah. I think better written than it gets credit for. I think it's like, mm -hmm. it's, it's trash maybe in the content but not in the mm -hmm. execution yeah and there is real craft and artistry mm -hmm. in yeah. that I would mm -hmm. agree there's and I think like one thing I'll say that's really interesting is I do think the books obviously the tv show too but the books mm -hmm. burn through plot pretty fast yeah so because I read the second one so it's like things that get set up here are already pretty much done by the second book mm -hmm. so it's, it's very like, neat yeah. yeah so it's interesting how fast these things go but I don't really remember too much so much beyond that more like flashes of the other books right. that came after and I do have some specific memories of the it girl series when Jenny goes to boarding mm -hmm. school so my last question would you consider it required reading and that can be not necessarily in school it can even be like required just to know you but... oh to know me mm -hmm. yeah I <laughs> I think like a book like this also is really important to my sensibilities in terms of like skewering certain aspects of culture mm -hmm. and also making fun of rich people and making fun of like what's popular in our culture. So I do mm -hmm. think I wouldn't say my comedic voice is mm -hmm. like this. I think the fact that this just isn't wholesale. These kids are rich and they're having the time of their lives is right. really important. Mm -hmm. And I think like it's a good primer for a lot of what the culture was at the time and then what came after Absolutely. so definitely required reading for me and then in terms of of understanding the time period for sure yeah. Yeah. it really is a time yeah. capsule yeah and it yeah. it has I think a lot more nuance than it is given credit for yeah I would agree I sincerely hope you watch the show Please let me know. Please keep me updated. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. Is there anything you. you want to plug as we're winding down? No, just um, buy my book if you want. And um, that's kind of all I have going on right now in terms of, yeah. And also follow me on Twitter at underscore Lanabelle uh, or on Instagram, character actress Lana Schwartz. Perfect. Well, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Yeah. Thank have you. Hi, this is Erin, a couple of weeks later, recording on my phone's voice memos app. I've been informed that the end of these episodes are a little abrupt, so next week on the pod, your homework is to read The Princess Diaries by Meg Cabot from 2000. Our guest will be Alison Reese. I'm Erin Bowles. You can find me at Erin R. Bowles on all platforms. And once the SAG after strike ends, please cast me. Thank you. Good night.